0: Good morning once again. I'm excited to open God's Word this morning as we continue in our Behind the Music uh, teaching series. This is week number seven in an eight-part series, and uh, as you know, during each of these weeks we've been looking at a popular song, usually from the 80s or 90s, and uh, listening to that song or part of it, and then really kind of unpacking it, because we find that even in popular music, sometimes there's transferable principles that lead us into God's Word that uh, help us uh, in better understanding um, God and His will, uh, understanding ourselves and how we are to be in the world. So, uh, today, like I said, week number seven, and today's song is Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. We're going to listen to one minute and 12 seconds of Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. If you're familiar with Everybody Hurts, that was not it, but this is. So about one year ago, I read a book, a two-part book actually, by an author named Alistair Humphreys in uh, this this two-part work of his. It, it detailed his four-year-long bicycle ride around the world, I uh, brought his books with me today. A two-part, I mean, I guess if you're going to ride your bike around the world and have it take four years and then write a book about it, it's going to take a few pages, but it's a two-volume story about him riding his bicycle around the world. Uh, beginning in the year 2001, he left his home in England and set off to ride eastward. His plan was to ride east through the Middle East uh, and then across Asia and then, and then cross the ocean on a boat, not his bike, uh, to the Americas. But if you remember 2001, what do you think might have happened? Not long into his ride, the September 11th attacks took place and turned the world upside down, and this caused Humphreys to, to change his plans. Instead of riding as planned through Iran and Afghanistan, uh, which was probably a smart move, he, uh, which was not a smart move at the time, or, originally he planned to ride through Iran and I'm saying this in the worst imaginable way. Instead of riding through Iran and Afghanistan and Iraq, which he had planned to do originally, he changed his plan and turned southward and uh, changed his plan to ride all the way through the African continent. And this was probably a smart move. In his first volume, which is called uh, Moods of Future Joys, uh, he tells of his adventure uh, leaving England, crossing Europe, and then getting into Lebanon, and then turning southward towards South Africa. In his second volume, which is called Thunder and Sunshine, we find him sailing from Johannesburg over to Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, and then shuttling uh, by vehicle to the very southern tip of Argentina. And then from Argentina, he sets off riding northward toward the very northernmost tip of Alaska on a bicycle, After chartering a berth on a ship from Alaska, Alistair then continued pedaling across Russia with a detour down to Japan, through China, and then through Eastern Europe, all the way back to England. Wow. You might think this Alistair Humphreys is larger than life. This guy's a beast. Well, surely he's tough, and, he, and he's got a stick-to-itiveness for sure. But one thing I really uh, grew to admire about Alistair Humphreys in reading his book uh, is not his tenacity and his superhuman strength. It's his humanness. As you read this story, you get the sense that this is just an ordinary guy. This is just an ordinary guy. He's human just like us. He's not larger than life. He does not possess this, this supernatural, unwavering nerve or resolve He's just like us. He's a normal guy who oftentimes, during the telling of his story, he feels uncertain. He feels very unsure, he's tired, he's intimidated. There are times where he wants to quit. He wants to stop, he wants to go home. There are times of deep despair uh, as he's facing these just unending challenges, and he feels also an intense loneliness and isolation many times in the story he speaks of uh, how he feels like a lost foreigner adrift in a sea of foreigners he's in a surrounded by sometimes whole continents of people that just don't even speak like him, look like him, or understand the world the same way as him. He feels like a lost foreigner in a sea full of strangers. Now, one passage from his second volume, uh, Thunder and Sunshine, resonated with me as a parallel of sorts to uh, something I've often felt uh, in the Christian life. As I've endeavored to follow after Jesus, I don't know why, but I was just reading this passage and I thought, you know what, That's, that kind of parallels well with uh, the life of a Christ follower. So I'd like to kind of read uh, this excerpt for you from Thunder and Sunshine. And here we find Alistair as he is coming to the very end of the Americas, as he's coming to the northern tip of Alaska. So if you'll in- indulge me here, I'll read for you. We tackled the pass late in the evening in warm sunlight. This was the last climb in the Americas. I thought back to the rhythmic grind of the mighty Andean climbs. I remembered the sheer, tropically sweaty hills of Colombia and the steepest roads of all in San Francisco. I had overcome doubt about my capability to persevere. I no longer worried that what others may think of me failing, but only about what I would think of my own failings. I had faced my fears about Colombia, I had learned another language, I had made many friends and, and, and almost made it along the span of the planet's longest landmass. I was happy and more confident than I'd ever been. I thought back to the last hill in Africa. I had attacked that with every bit of power, anger, and fight that I could muster. I had sprinted it, blown myself out, and arrived at the top roaring and defiant. The last hill in the Americas was very different. The ride had been so different. I rode the Antigon Pass slowly. The Americas had been good to me, and I had enjoyed so much of it that there was no way I would just attack this last mountain as though I wanted to put it behind me. I had to savor it and be grateful for it. I stood on the pedals as I had done so often before, left, right, left, right, grinding away and the gravel crept past my wheels, stone by stone, surge by surge by surge with each stroke of the pedals. I got a puncture halfway up, but I didn't care. I sat on the deserted gravel road and slowly repaired it. I almost did not want the past to end because I was happy there. Right there, right then, was exactly where I wanted to be. If the end of Africa was an unexpected and exultant victory over a fierce opponent, the end of the Americas was becoming a sad, drawn-out goodbye to a friend. At the top, Dave and I shook hands. The hardest days were behind us. It was all downhill to the end now. As I reflect back on my three and a half decades or so of following after Jesus, I've come to realize that being a Christian is not really the the path of least resistance. Has anyone else discovered this? Following after Jesus is not the smoothest path possible, it's not the path of least resistance. The call of a Christ follower is not an invitation to walk an easy road. Uh, C.S. Lewis expresses this realization, this insight, rather well when he says, If you want a religion to make you really feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. <laughs> if you are looking for a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. <laughs> Why? It's because the daily decision to pursue the way of Jesus leads uphill. It's an uphill path with, with many mountains and many valleys, many challenges and obstacles, many setbacks, many difficulties. Indeed, it's in these very things which we find that we're growing. It's through those difficulties, those challenges, it's in that context that we actually discover we're becoming more and more who Christ is calling us to be. Really in this weird sense, we become grateful for the hardship, right? We're glad it's a strenuous path. This seems, this understanding, this experience seems to correlate well with Christ followers uh, globally. But also historically, what we read about Christians, what we hear about our brothers and sisters in Christ, historically and globally, this seems to track right with that, tracking pretty closely even to the believers we read about in scripture, in the Bible. Uh, even Jesus, and th- this wasn't like a bait and switch. I mean, Jesus didn't invite people in like it was some kind of you know Amway presentation, and then like suddenly it became difficult. He wants to be clear up front. He's like, hey. Know what you're getting yourself into. I mean, I can think of several verses, but here I want to just look at this. Look at what Jesus says in uh, Matthew chapter 7, uh, just verses 13 and 14. He says, You can enter God's kingdom. Yeah? All right, me? Yes, you. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But... The gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. You can flip over to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew 16 verses 24 and 25. Here Jesus says, I think this is maybe the passage we looked at last week, but he says, Jesus then said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. I'm not sure... In the, in the popular experience or expectation of Christianity, I'm not sure when, why, or how we started thinking or telling each other that the life of faith was, was really about moving from victory to sublime victory. Has anyone had that experience, where it's just mountaintop to mountaintop, just like skipping through life? Ah. How did we come to assume that living the lived experience of, of the Christian was one of being carried along by the Holy Spirit, you know, high-stepping over all difficulties in life? If that's the Christianity that you were sold or that was promoted and, and given to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that maybe just now you're coming to that realization that that wasn't the real thing, that that's not the, the Christian experience that Jesus told us about. In my experience and what what I've read of others experiences life with Jesus is a little gritty it's gritty it's an uphill path it's a strenuous course it is a commitment that is walked out right in the middle of real life stress of real life stress right in the middle of bills of worries of frustrations of pandemics of unemployment of civil unrest in the midst of all these things, we are called to follow after Jesus. We're doing God's will, walking upon the, the path that is, that is illuminated by the Holy Spirit for us, and it's still leading us into these stressful situations. The daily muddle, the, the strenuous climbs, the exhilarating descents, the hard-won satisfaction of challenges overcome. Guys, this is the context for Christian growth. It's just like stressing your muscles or or challenging your body through physical exercise. These things become how we grow strong as a follower of Jesus. It's through challenge, it's through resistance and difficulty. If we look closely and we pay attention and we stop to appreciate where we are once in a while, I think we can gain a healthier perspective on the life with God, especially in those moments when it hurts because everybody hurts sometimes. Now one thing I've noticed is that growth, strength, victory, these things come only to those who are disciplined. Growth, strength, victory only come to those who choose to discipline themselves. Those who are willing to face those difficulties, who are willing to to walk right in and say, bring it on. I see the value in difficulties, in challenges. This is how my discipline grows stronger. A couch potato, spiritual or otherwise, will never know, will never know what's on the other side of that mountain. A couch potato will never know what lies at the very end of themselves when they're pushed, when you're pushed to extremity. Unless you're disciplined to find out, you'll never know what you're capable of. This is why the Apostle Paul often compared to the life in Christ uh, to training, to running, uh, to racing, to struggling, to suffering, the pursuit. He talks about the life in Christ as if it's the pursuit of something that is of great worth and has, has, has sublime meaning. He understood and he wants us to understand that following Jesus is an endeavor that is fraught with perils, yes, but it's also filled with promises. It's fraught with peril, but it's filled with promises of great reward. Over and over again, you catch this refrain with Paul and the other uh, New Testament writers just says, hey, hang in there. Hang in there, brother. Hang in there, sister. It's all worth it we all must travel those rock rocky and steep paths we all must follow jesus in and among the many threats and pitfalls that come our way i've got a whole bevy of scriptures i want to touch on here so if you have your bible you can get it out get it warmed up because we're going to be flipping back and forth you can see all the orange little markers i have in my bible so (laughs) be nervous right Let's look at some of the things Paul says here. How he explains and lifts up and makes clear the expectations of what comes with following after Jesus. Yeah, it's going to be tough, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be tough, but it's going to be worth it. Let's look first at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 through 16. Philippians 2:14 through 16. Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright stars in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Look at uh, verse uh, chapter three, Philippians three ten through fourteen. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death. That's one of those verses that always has jumped out for me from Paul, with Paul. He's like, I want to know Christ and I want to suffer with Him. Only if I can suffer with Him will I fully know Him. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already breached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus is calling us. Now look at Second Timothy, Paul's counsel to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. As for me, Timothy, my life has already been poured out as an offer, offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of His return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to His appearing. So do you hear it? Paul's pretty honest about his experience and the meaning of what he's been through. He understands that all the difficulty he's experienced, all that he's, he's suffered, is for a greater purpose. And none of that has gone without God noticing that a time is coming where He will find healing. And there is a reward to faithfulness. And the Bible is very clear about that. I love how uh, John Newton, does anyone know John Newton? He wrote Amazing Grace. His hymn, "The uh, Amazing Grace, says it this way. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace shall lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me, His word, my hope secures. He will, he will by shield and portion be. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. I love this honesty and beauty that, that John Newton expresses, and it really echoes that which Paul expresses to us. Yes, it's hard, it's painful, it's difficult, but it's so, so beautiful, and so, so worth it. Now, I'm not sure that Paul was an REM fan, but I am convinced if he listened to Everybody Hurts, I think he would like it. Why? Because I think it would resonate with something that he understood. I think he would listen to it, and he would nod his head knowingly. I think he would agree with some of the wisdom that that Michael Stipe sings about in that song. When your day is long, and the night, the night is yours alone. When you're sure you've had enough of this life, well, hang on. Don't let yourself go, because everybody cries, and everybody hurts sometimes. I imagine Paul saying, yes, yes, that's true. Yes, when you're wiped out, when you're convinced you've got to give up, hang on. Hang on, don't let yourself go. Whatever you do, brothers and sisters, do not let yourself go. Keep the faith. Hold fast. Be strong. Indeed, this is exactly the time. This is the, exactly the place in your journey when you need to dig deep. This is the situation in which you must learn how to look to Jesus and ultimately trust your training. Trust your training. It's in the hard times when we must choose to believe. It's in those hard times when we must cling to our hope that this is all heading toward a good, healed end. Do you believe that? I mean, I've met believers, people who are following after Jesus, that are pretty defeated, that don't seem very convinced that this is leading toward a good, healed end. They don't come around like Paul did. They're just like, oh, woe is me. I've suffered. It hurts. It's hard. But they never are able to turn that corner and say, but God is good, and I hold fast to His promises that this is all leading towards something. This is all leading toward a good, healed end. The Christian life has long been marked by holding fast. By holding fast. This is why the anchor was one of the earliest Christian symbols. Even before the cross. Maybe even before the fish. The anchor. The the Christian story is long. the, The Christian life has a long history of holding fast, of perseverance. The theme of perseverance, the encouragement to persevere, punctuates Scripture. Our perseverance is based on a promise. It's not just based on you and your ability. It's based on a promise from God. Those who hold fast find salvation, but they also find rest in the end. That we ultimately find salvation, yes, but we also find rest. Let's look at a couple more verses here, real quick. Uh, Let's look at Matthew 24, verses 9 through 14. Matthew 24, 9 through 14. This is Jesus talking. You'll notice this is in red ink. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Let's look also at James 1:12. James chapter one, verse 12. "God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Afterward., Ugh. tough word, but it's there. It's hard. But afterward, you will receive a crown of life. Let's look at Revelation uh, 2, 8 through 10. Revelation 2, 8 through 10. And this is uh, the message to the church in Smyrna, which that's one of my favorite names of a church. If I ever plant another church, it's going to have, somehow, if possible, Lord willing, I'll work Smyrna into the name just because it's so fun. You're welcome. All right, (laughs) two. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering. I know about your poverty. But you are rich. You are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogues belong to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for ten days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you what? The crown of life. The crown of life. This is another way of saying hang in there. It's leading toward a good, healed end. You will receive a reward. The crown of life if you persevere. R.E.M. goes on to say in their song, Sometimes everything is wrong. Now it's time to sing along. When your day is night alone, if you feel like letting go, hold on. If you think you've had too much of this life, well, hang on, because everybody hurts. Take comfort in your friends. Everybody hurts. Don't throw your hand. If you feel like you're alone, no, 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 you're not alone. Here's another point as we imagine Paul listening along to REM here. Here's another point in the song where I think Paul's eyes would light up as he thrusts a crooked finger in the air and he says, Yes, this is so true. I found this to be so true in my own life. We need faithful friends. We need faithful friends. No way could I have made it through without God's provision and without reliable, loving friends. Over and over, Paul is imprisoned. Over and over again, Paul is in tough, difficult situations, and we find his friends are there. He finds he, finds he has friends that are sticking close to him. They're, 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 they're supporting him. They're holding vigil with him. They're bringing him food. They're joining him in prayer. They're carrying messages back to the other churches about his condition, about his concerns. From... Uh, Luke to Aristarchus, from Timothy to Tychicus, to Epaphras to Epaphroditus. Paul, and his ministry, was sustained, it was supported, and it was amplified by this group of tight, Jesus-loving compadres. If you read through his letters, look at the ends of his letters, and maybe sometimes the beginnings, but the ends, when he's signing off, he's listing his friends, he's like, these guys stick with me. Wherever I'm at, even if I'm in a, under arrest, these guys are close by. He had some tight, Jesus-loving compadres, and we need tight, Jesus-loving compadres in our life as well. I would encourage you to look here. I'm not going to read it this morning, but Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. This is where Paul is commending one of these guys. He's commending a guy named Epaphroditus. He's saying, hey, this guy has suffered with me. He's been so faithful, and I'm sending him to you to give you a report. Treat him well. Because he is faithful he's faithful you check that out on your own so we can look at Paul's life we can uh, look at others lives and we can glean some transferable principles f- uh, for a Christian perspective uh, perspective on perseverance we can glean from their experiences and their examples uh, To learn a little more about what Christian perseverance means, especially when we're hurting and we're discouraged, when we're tempted to give in, when we're tempted to give in to those feelings. First thing that I think we can notice when we look at Paul's example and the example of others, when things get tough, what did they do? Well, when things got tough, they turned to their source of strength first. They first turned to their source of strength. They rooted their trust in God, seeking the guidance of Scripture. They looked to, the, the, to God through the guidance of Scripture and through the power of prayer. This was their impulse. It's getting tough, guys. We should go to the Lord. And where did they go? They went to Scripture, and they went to prayer. They had hidden the Word in their hearts, so that they could draw upon it when things got tough. When the nights got long and the days felt like night, those who trusted in Jesus and in the promises of Scripture, they had a place into which they could retreat. They had a, a place into which they could retreat for prayer and for communion with God and with each other. If we are to persevere in our walk with Jesus, we too must sink our roots deeply into His Word, deeply into God's Word, and become practiced in prayer. I mean, practice when it's not difficult, so that when it is difficult, we have this reflex, we have this ability to go into that place, that retreat with God. We must ultimately cultivate a robust, life-giving communion with God so the first lesson we can learn a transferable principle is that when things get tough we turn to our source of strength and that source of strength is found in scripture and in prayer the second transferable principle i'd like to point out is and that we see lived out with paul and these others is they relied on each other they relied on fellow believers and they were supported by durable relationships understanding that there are no lone rangers in the faith there are no lone rangers in the faith guys Church, the gathered church in worship and in sharing, bearing each other's burdens is not optional. It's not just a nice-to-have thing. It's essential. We are placed in community. You are placed in a church family on purpose. It is actually part of God's design for those who come into faith in Jesus Christ. That you'd be part of a church family. It's part of God's design. We need each other. Christian fellowship is critical. It's critical. Not just nice to have. We cannot do this alone. We are not called to do this on our own. Our discipleship, our growth, and ultimately king, our kingdom effectiveness depends on the family of God working together to fulfill His mission in the world. This is why God, why Paul talks about the church as if it's a body, that we're each a different part of that body. So if it's just about the pastor, then you've just got this mouth. Your mouths can only do so much. We need hands. We need necks. We need bodies. We need. Th- duodenums and such. Feet, you know, I mean, all these parts play a role. I mean, which part of your body would you be willing to do without? Which part of your body could you do without and still be okay and be as effective in pursuing your goals and mission in the world? Probably not many things you could do without. Well, Paul talks about the church as if it's a body just like that. Everyone has to show up. Everyone has to play their part if we are to be effective in doing what Jesus has called us to do. We must recognize our need and learn to trust and rely on the people God has placed us among. And this is hard because we have trust issues. (laughs) Sometimes we've been hurt. Sometimes church has been an ugly, toxic, terrible place. And that's really colored our perception and our willingness to engage and be vulnerable. But really, we must get back to that place. Uh, If you need healing, let's seek healing. If there's some forgiveness that needs to be asked or given, let's do that. Because this is the place in which we discover so much about what it means to follow Jesus. We must recognize our need and learn to trust and rely on the people God has placed us among, those God has gifted us as traveling companions. We are traveling companions on pilgrimage together. And I'm thankful for that. I love each and every one of you. I love this body of believers that God's placed me among. The ability and willingness to lean on others, it is not weakness. It's wisdom. The ability to admit that I need other people if I'm going to make it, that's not weakness. That's wisdom. Look at Paul. Look at these other writers of the New Testament. Look at Jesus. He made, it was no secret that he needed his friends. Why else did he take people with him to pray? Why did he say, hey, intercede with me, because I am so frightened right now. i mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus himself is afraid. He says, I don't want to be alone right now. If Jesus needed friends, he needed tight, God-loving compadres, so do we. It's not weakness, it's wisdom. So be encouraged, friends. Our life with Christ, it's all heading somewhere. It's not just about toughing it out. It's actually heading somewhere. We tough it out for a reason. It is heading somewhere toward this, 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 this end that is good and glorious. It will all be infinitely worthwhile. Although there will be hard times, there will be long nights, there will be steep hills, there will be moments when we want to quit. Hear my voice say, hang in there. Hang in there. It will all be worth it in the end. Let's hang in there. Dig deep, keep going, keep trusting, hold on to the promise that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. So keep your head down, keep turning those pedals, keep climbing those hills, enjoy that adventure, persevere both in thunder and in sunshine. I want to finish up with two quotes that kind of point us in that direction, maybe give us some motivation here, but I want to start with a finish up start finishing up with the words of james elroy flecker that says we are the pilgrims master we shall go always a little further it may be on, may be beyond the last blue mountain barred with snow across that angry or across that glimmering sea I love those words. We shall go always a little further. It may be beyond the last blue mountain barred with snow, across that angry or that glimmering sea. And then finally there's a song by Don Chaffer. Oh, I love it. I'm amazed by life, and it's amazed by me. We're a strange old pair, me and eternity. I don't, it don't make good sense. It ain't easy to see. But I'm amazed by life, and it's amazed by me. It's a long, hard road with a good, good end. And if I keep on walking, on past the crooked bend, I will meet my maker, I will meet my friend. It's a long, hard road with a good, good end. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the the witness of Scripture, the, the testimony of those who followed after you from the very beginning. We find these hallmarks of their life and of their deepening faith. That those who were more faithful didn't have an easier life. Actually, we find that those who, who clung to you and grew deeper and deeper in their faith actually faced more and more uh, challenges. God, I pray that you'd find each of us worthy to face those challenges too. I pray that we'd all grow in our commitment and our, our trust in you. God, I'm, filled in a, I'm in a room filled with people that all have a different uh, story about how they came to trust in Jesus and how long they've been following after Jesus and what they've experienced while following Jesus. But I pray that we'd be able to synthesize those experiences into these core truths that the Christian path is challenging. We're called to follow and it leads uphill. It's a narrow door. It's a rocky path. But God, may we remember the promises of Scripture that it leads to a crown of life that will be made whole in the end, that anything that's lost or given up for the sake of Christ will be found fully in you. So God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Heal those wounds. Give us strength and perseverance, we pray. And I pray that for all my friends here, those who are following after Jesus. I pray for friends that maybe haven't followed Jesus. They're maybe watching from a distance and saying, is it worth it? oh man, may my life resound with the answer, yes, it's worth following Jesus. The challenge, the difficulty, the stress that's placed upon our life, this grows us uh, in our faith, but it also makes us strong. So God, I pray that you would have a robust understanding of what the life in Christ is about, that would have a deepening commitment to you and that would sink our roots all the deeper into scripture and into our prayer life so that we would uh, have that special place of communion with you. Lord, be with our world, we pray. I pray that we would be able to go out to it, into it as Christians who are prepared to speak love and to speak truth and to bring healing in the world. We lift these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just a couple of uh, things to, to touch on before we're finished up today. Uh, Be watching for the weekly roundup. Even as we start meeting in person again, we're gonna continue with our care groups just to make sure we're checking in and and, uh, communicating as best we can with each other. So be checking your email, Uh, be uh, watching for those texts from your care group leaders. Um, Also, Thank you for your faithfulness in giving during the shutdown. I know a lot of church leaders were worried that if the church isn't gathering, is, is the giving of tithes and offerings gonna continue? Well, thankfully, uh, during the past couple months, giving's been very steady here at church and we're blessed by that. And that's a big part uh, in thanks to you and your faithfulness. So uh, we do have several ways that you can be giving, even if you're not here. Uh, you can give through the website, uh, with a, through Apple Pay, with credit uh, debit cards. You can give through PayPal. Um, and while you're here, there's the regular ways you can give the iPads back there. But to be clear, we view the giving of tithes and offerings as an intimate expression of faith and worship. So we want to encourage you in that. Uh, yesterday we had our second Love Thy Neighbor event. We had hundreds of pounds of food donated from Convoy of Hope and uh, Freshwater Springfield. And how many minutes did it take to give it all away? <laughs> yeah, it was like within an hour. Yeah, people started showing up early, so there's a need that we're meeting, which is great, but we ran out of food pretty quickly. So we're gonna do get this fine-tuned to be able to communicate it better. But I love it that our church gets to be a, a blessing in our neighborhood, a resource point where we can actually help people out in practical, tangible ways. So there's gonna be more opportunities to do stuff like that. So uh, just be watching the Hope and Anchor Facebook page and the uh, Care Group weekly roundups. So, uh, yeah. So let's, uh, as we finish up, let's pray as the Lord taught us. Uh, Go ahead and stand. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks everyone. Thanks for coming today. Have a good afternoon.